that's greeting again in this rainy morning. If you've been outside here in the last hour, you would agree with what was said. It would be good. It's good to be inside. I don't think we'll have a Noah situation here. That's the normal. But I think it's a blessing to come to a a gathering like this where we hear such foundational truths of God's word, faith, and loving God with all your heart. We have been instructed this morning thinking of faith. Faith is believing and trusting the creator of the universe. Because we all live by faith, but who you put your faith in is the of essence of importance. Some people put their faith in that Harold Camping and what he said. They really did. They were disappointed. Their faith did not save them. Noah believed God, the, universe, the God of the universe, the creator God. He got a word and he believed it and he was saved. And so will we be the same way. And then loving that God with all our heart and that we are actually um, useful to God. Thank you. Okay, why don't we just, uh, well, yeah, why don't we just stand for a word of prayer before we go on. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful to you this morning. We're grateful for even such simple things as a, a dry place to be, but also very thankful for a place to gather together with God's people and hear from your word and to be encouraged and to um, be an encouragement to each other. Lord, the gathering together, even though... Um, this public gathering and the public speakers and the ones who come up front are a part of it, Lord. Every element of encouragement, a smile, a word, a, a, uh, a prayer for others amongst each other is a part as well. And we pray for your blessing on, on all of the gathering together this morning. Also pray, Lord, for this part, for myself and the message. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, grant your word to go forth with clarity, with power, and with conviction. And, uh, Lord, pray that your word would not return void, but it would accomplish that which it is intended. So, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, this is the third message on marriage and uh, about marriage as a reflection. Marriage as a reflection, of course, that's based on Ephesians chapter 5 where Christ and the church and marriage is a reflection of that relationship. So it was sort of a theme down that road, down that line. Jesus as a holy and wise and kind husband, it's the proper example for us husbands to follow. 
And the church, as an adoring and obedient and supportive wife, is the example for all wives here to follow. Even though ultimately even wives are underneath the lordship of Christ, even as they are underneath their husband. When this reflection is clearly seen in a home, then you have what we would call the closest thing to heaven on earth. And when that reflection is distorted, then you can have uh, variable degrees to the point where there can be almost a hell on earth. Not completely, obviously not. But you could use that example And with the stigma of divorce largely gone in our society, that is one of the reasons, many of the reasons why so many end up in divorce. Because their marriage is is distorted. It's not reflecting that image. And so with the stigma for divorce gone, a lot of people just separate. But as as people who have done polling and have done research, the marriages that don't break up in divorce. Many of them are unhappy. They also are, there's a distortion going on. There are very many, many unhappy unhappy people in their marriage. And we could say marriage is really a difficult thing to get right because you have two sinful people living together in the very closest way possible for life. So the grace of God does need to be very active in those people for them to properly reflect their role properly. Now, at home, we have a reoccurring problem. I thought about bringing an object lesson along, but I didn't. But we have a hand mirror that we use so we can face the mirror and we can see the back of our head as you're combing and grooming. Our problem is it regularly gets broken. And when it's broken, then we have no mirror. It's, and we don't have one until we get one again. And then we have a mirror. And we have that one until it gets broken again. Now, the first message of this series was titled, A Reflection Gone Bad. And that's there was an original, beautiful reflection that when Adam didn't take his role at the proper leader and Eve stepped out of her role under her husband and listened to someone else and they didn't have faith in God, that that perfect reflection was shattered. Okay, it was shattered. So like this mirror at home, it's shattered. But we really do want a mirror. And God really does want a mirror. He does want that reflection. So the grace of God is working in life, in our lives for that reflection to be, dis- to be um, restored. So we're in that restoration process. That's his goal. And it's to happen in people like you and me, us, God's people. And surely we can do better than those dismal statistics of unhappy people in their marriages. And we can do that when we learn that we have been feeling and acting sinfully. We can yield to the truth. 
the truth of the word and we can fill our place in the marriage, wherever it is, whatever husband's your place in marriage, a wife your place in marriage, by the grace of God, and and that properly, beautifully reflect that image of Christ and the church. Husbands, this means we are to reflect Christ's sacrificial care for the church. That's to our wives. And we have arrived to that standard when we have arrived to the standard that Christ has for the church. And I thought of it actually. We talk about wives' submission. I don't know if you will agree with me or not, but according to this, I would almost think that the wife has the easier role as far as meeting the standard of Scripture. I'm talking to us husbands now. The wife has the easier role because our standard is very high. Now, did I say easier? I did not say easy. (laughs) Be clear on that. Easier. And that should be that way. Isn't the Bible say the wife is the weaker vessel? So she should have the easier role. But our role, brethren, is to be like Christ himself in how he won, how he won a people that were opposed to himself. Imagine that. He won a people that were against him. Well, is your wife against you? Hopefully not. But if that's the case, we have a pattern to follow. But he did it with consistency and sacrifice by dying, literally, to himself and raising again in a new life. And that's how we properly reflect marriage God's way, us husbands. So here are the last five points, just real quickly from the last message. Love is not something you fall into. The word if is not in the command of loving your wife. Love has a goal, a purpose, and aim. It's to promote godliness and holiness in your wife. Love has an outcome, a wife of spiritual maturity and splendor. And love leads the home decisively and wisely. Now, wives, it's your turn this morning. And aren't you glad you've been waiting for a long time in this line that's going so slowly. And finally, it's your turn. You're just so glad that finally your turn has come. So what is your part in this beautiful reflection of marriage God's way? And the title will give the message subject. A wife reflects Christ by her submission. And we're going to turn to all the scriptures that actually speak directly to wives in relationship to their husbands. So we can turn first to Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll read a number of different passages here right off and get sort of the the gist of the scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. Wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then down in verse 33 of the same chapter there, 
Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now I'm just going to read Colossians 3.18, which is a short verse, very similar. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as is fit or proper in the Lord. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Verses 3 to 5. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And then also in 1 Peter chapter 3, very familiar verses here also. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, if God created man by taking dirt of the ground and refining that dirt and creating man, then... A woman is twice refined. She was, man was made of refined dirt and woman was made from a refined dirt originally and further refined. (laughs) She is a beautiful, intelligent, inspiring and powerful creation of God. That's who she is, men. That's who you are, women. You have been alongside man being given the commandment to have dominion over the earth. Take care of God's creation. And you are also a participant of that commandment to increase and multiply in the earth. And as a Fallen creature alongside man, you are a co-heir of the grace of God, just like mankind is. A co-heir of God's redemptive grace. And as such, you are a receiver of grace, and you are an extender of God's grace to others. So, as we've read these passages, what themes stand out to you about God's plan for women in marriage. 
in relation to your husbands? What themes stand out? And we see submission. We see subjection. We see reverence. We see obedience. And that is alongside of a godly and a holy life. Those respect and submission and reverence to a husband alongside your personal godly life and um, and in a sense, like the church relates to Christ, so in that sense, you relate that way to your husband. You reflect that. So you have a clean, you have a chaste behavior, you have a meek and a quiet spirit. You are trusting in God like the holy women. That is the picture that we get from the scriptures. That is the woman's plan in marriage. The day that I spoke the last message about man's plan in marriage, I got an email from a media that I'm signed up to. And it was titled, Are Women Helpers? The woman who wrote that did not believe that women are to be helpers. She did not believe that God intended that there be any distinction between men and women. And in that article, she put up numerous straw men that I didn't believe in either. And she proceeded to knock them down. And she avoided the real verses that really dealt with the pertinent issues at hand. One example of a straw man and and. If you do any any you get uh, any contact with this kind of material, you you will find this. But one anvil answer example of a straw man. She said that if the man has authority over the woman because he was formed first, then taking the same logic, the animal should have authority over the man because they were formed before man. That's logical, right? That's what logic gets you into trouble and not revelation. And I use that example of why a man has leadership in his home. Because Paul said so. He said in Timothy, for the man was first formed. And that's why the man had that place. So it's very clear. But using that logic. So that was a straw man. And she goes on in one other example that in 1 Corinthians 11, it may imply that Eve had even greater glory because she was the last creation. She was the crowning. So if you're going to go uphill and uphill and uphill, then the woman is actually over the man. <laughs> and that's logical too, right? <laughs> but um, And then this controversy of, um, uh, of the distinction of roles has has risen to a new height in just the last several weeks in the evangelical world when a very famous and very prominent evangelical leader publicly denounced a woman in their circles that has had a ministry for a long time, but she has moved away from writing books and teaching women. She has actually come into the realm where she's now preaching to mixed audiences. And he denounced her publicly for that and but the amazing not amazing 
it was it it generated a a firestorm of indignation that he would do that 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 is so wrong so they were severe censure on him for doing that publicly well for do just even believing that so we believe here that according to God's plan there is clear instruction that there are distinctions that there are distinct roles and there are distinct responsibilities. But we must also understand that we are going against the role, not against the, against the flow of our culture. We're going against the flow. Even some Christian culture, we are going against the flow when we say that. In our culture of identity politics, they call it, there's only two classes of people. There is the oppressor, and then there is the oppressed. And to get rid of oppression, you must get rid of all distinctions. You must not have anyone higher than another, or whoever's higher is always the oppressor, and whoever's below is always the oppressed. And so what we have, they say, if we have an oppressive relationship, oppressive I uh, can't think of the word, right? Huh? Okay, I thought somebody said something. We have an oppressive situation here. Can't think of the word. So, to get rid of that, everybody must be equal. Distinctions must be erased so that the promised utopia can arrive. It was interesting. We were down at the um, Pensbury Manor on Friday for the homeschool. Uh, school trip, and the Quakers, they were early believers of equality. And the fact in their setting, a 16th century England, there was severe class distinction, much more than what is biblical. And so they overreacted and said, well, everybody can hear from God. There's no, uh, there's no, nobody needs between you and God. That's right. But then they erased others, and they had also women preachers in the Quaker meeting type of a thing where anybody could speak. So there's various that. Anyhow, enough said. What the Bible clearly teaches is not popular with the world. Are you surprised? (laughs) Now, there are no institutions with two heads. There is a president and there is a vice president. There is a pilot and there is a co-pilot. There is a CEO and there is a COO, I found out, chief operations officer. There is a captain and there is a First officer, maybe, or something. I don't know. There is a first mate. There is a second mate. There is a husband. And there is a wife. There cannot be two heads in any institution. That's what God has had in mind. So why is that so hard to understand? From the very moment of creation, God put upon Adam the responsibilities of leadership and work. 
Adam was called to dress and to till the ground and subdue it. I have dominion rather, yes. And he needed help. That's hence the woman. Now, in a perfect world, that's quite straightforward. Here you have a first mate. He's in charge of the ship. It's not his ship, the first mate that's in charge of the ship. You could also call him a captain, but I like the idea of first mate and second mate because it flows together. So he's in charge of the ship. There's nobody higher in charge of that ship, but it's not his ship. While he is on the ship, he is in charge, but he's in charge for his owner. He is to take care of this ship for the owner. There's going to be many, many situations on this long voyage across the ocean and wherever many ports they go and back again. He's in charge. But he has an assistant it's called the second mate. She has the same goals as as he does. She has the same sense of responsibility for the ship and for the successful journey. For the owner of the ship. The task is huge. It's, it's, it's long. It will tax their energies. It will, it will tax their energies and their commitment to each other and to the owner. They are a team in the sense that they have the same goals, the same sense of responsibility, the same commitment to the owner. They have communications both ways. They're giving suggestions, giving advice is given. They brainstorm together in difficult situations, and they are a team. But one thing is clear. The first mate does not relegate his position to the second mate. The second mate does not usurp the command of the first mate. The first and second mates were given their particular responsibilities by the owner. They didn't actually choose them. They were assigned those responsibilities. And so in this directive, wives, submit to your first mate. He has been given charge of the ship by the owner. It's your responsibility, responsibility from the owner himself to work alongside your first mate and to assist him in his mission. Submission is actually a military term. It's meant to rank under. That's what Strong actually say, to rank under. And that's just what we've been said. The second mate ranks under the first mate. And that's an order given by God that's as clear as can be. And it's like I said in one of the first messages, most times the reason people are upset about the directives for wives to submit to their husband is not because it is difficult to understand, it's because it is impossible to misunderstand. Now, one of the first difficulties, and this is the rest of the message, I will actually take a number of responses to that that people have. And we will work our way through of how this works out and so on. And it won't be nearly exhaustive. One of the first difficulties people have with this arrangement is that they think it makes the wife inferior to her husband. 
This is one of the straw men that actually that woman had put in her in her uh, article. And from a natural and an earthly perspective, it does seem that way. It does. But let's look a little closer. Who was the most submissive person to ever walk the face of the earth? Was it David? Daniel? Ruth? Who was the most submissive? It was the Lord Jesus, the most submissive ever to walk on the face of the earth. And he was submissive to his father. Was he unequal from the father? Was he less than the father? Was he less important than the father? Absolutely not. The most submissive person to ever walk the face of the earth said, Not my will, but thine be done. Every single act of his life was an act of submission. There are few things in life that are more Christ-like than submission. Now, we think we want to be like Jesus. Okay, we want to be like Jesus. We're going to be holy. We're going to... Well, what would you do if you be like Jesus? What would you do? <laughs> want to be like Jesus. Well, how often do you hear, let's be like Christ. Let's be submissive. That is being like Jesus in his many faceted roles. Let's look at the opposite. Who was not submissive? Who did not like his role that was assigned him and wanted to climb on top? It was the devil, was it not? It was the devil, Satan. He's the picture of rebellion. And that's right. To submit is to be like Christ, and when you submit where you are called to submit is to be like Christ, and to not submit is to be like the devil, to resist. John Copeland's, I'm going to read a little bit of this, because he speaks right on this. The submission of the wife to her husband is often construed as meaning that she is of less importance, unequal, and under bondage. And this may well be the feeling of the wife if the husband is self-centered in his role. It's her feeling. She can feel that way. She can feel used that way. But it's far from true when he is godly and obedient to God's calling for him. The misconceptions about husband-wife roles are rooted in the misconception about personal fulfillment. In the mind of the world, freedom and fulfillment come in being able to do as we please, and thus the position of the husband seems to be the position envied at the most fulfilling. In reality, freedom and fulfillment come in pleasing God in serving others, and thus neither husband nor wife have advantage over the other. Is the husband free to do as he pleases? Never. He will be free and fulfilled only as he understands and loves and provides for the needs of his wife and children. So, so uh, the difficulty that people have to think that the wife is inferior, it's not true. And like we said earlier, the husband's role is actually more higher than the wife. Submission is to be under the authority and direction of another. 
and then I'm going to make two distinctions here. It can be coerced or it can be voluntary. The, the scripture uses that Bible and in, in uses this in, in the Bible uses it in both these ways. In Romans 8.20, I'm just going to read that verse where uh, Paul is talking about the effects of the fall. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. So made subject and subjected are both that same word, submission, submit. So basically, against its will, all a creation was subjected to God's curse. God did not ask creation if you want to be subjected. He did it. We are under the curse, and it's a forced. It's not a request. And another one in Luke ten seventeen is, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. So there we see a forced submission. The devils were forced to submit under the name of Jesus. But submission can be and should be voluntarily. The first time it is used actually is in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, talking about Jesus after his stint there in the temple for three days. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. So the Lord Jesus willingly subjected himself to his parents. And just one more example of that is in Romans 13. Let every soul be subject or submit unto the higher powers. And so uh, we are to submit ourselves voluntarily to the government. And it's this kind of submission that is directed to wives. Submission is not done kicking and screaming. I hope not. That's not submission. I actually heard it. I actually heard it already. I won't say who, and I won't say where, and I won't say when, but I heard this. I have to submit. I'm going to submit, but I sure, I don't know exactly the exact words, but the thoughts were I sure don't want to. (laughs) That, unfortunately, is not submission. It is the act of coming under, but it's not the spirit of coming under. We'll talk more about that later. The most important example of coercion and voluntary submission is this one. As I live, said the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Some will do that voluntarily now. Some will be coerced to do it later on. They will do it, but some, it's a blessing when we can voluntarily do that to the Lord Jesus. So, to the wife, do you submit to your husband? Adapting to your husband is not good enough. It's not the same as submit. Neither is it to understand and support your husband. That's not good enough either, even though those are part of submission. The biblical directive is as simple as it is wonderful and as it's politically incorrect. 
And it just means what it says. It means submission starts with the humble recognition of God's divine ordering in creation. God has designed that I am second mate to my first mate husband. And I am there to support him in his mission. Society cannot function as God designed it without the principle of submission both being understood and applied. Now, we wives may say, Christ could easily submit to his father because his father was perfect. My husband, for all the ways you can describe him, is perfection is not one of them. I think that's probably true of all of us. Not even close. And this can be some of the wife's hearts. There's some things that my husband does that I had difficulty standing. I just can't stand it. He continues to frustrate me in these areas. He doesn't change. And those socks, well, were just let off. <laughs> so, it's true. Christ submitted to a perfect father. But it's not true that it was easy. Come to think of it, do you think that you might have it harder than Christ did to submit to the Father and to the Father's will? Christ submitted and he obeyed his Father and the cost of obedience was not in the equation. I am going to do that. Let's, you can turn to this scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll look at a few verses where it talks about this. Christ submitted to a perfect father, but it wasn't easy. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 2, 2 to 4. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, that's what he endured, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now the point here I want to make is choosing to submit can be, can uh that Christ choosing to submit to the Father brought very difficult circumstances into his life that if he would have circumvented the cross, he could have avoided it. Choosing to submit brought very difficult circumstances into Christ's life. It brought him that suffering and it brought him that death. So submission does, at times, bring us into difficult situations and painful situations that could be averted if you go around it. But the Lord Jesus did not. By bypassing submission, and this is, this is for men in their realm of submission as well, but as we're speaking to, uh, to the wives this morning, 
we can bypass by bypassing submission, we can bypass the cross and bypass the suffering and walk away from the will and purpose of God. Submitting can be excruciating at times. It is not always easy, but it wasn't easy for Jesus either. So, what other reasons do we have to not submit? Here would probably be a common one. My husband is not properly submitted to Christ. He's carnal and he's fleshly at home. He doesn't love me and treat me with proper respect and care. He's selfish and inconsiderate. I question whether he's saved. Someone asked John Newton one time about a certain famous preacher. And I don't know why he asked this question. He said, you think that preacher is saved? I don't know why he asked that question, but I like the answer that John Newton gave. Well, he said, I don't know. I don't know for sure. They say, I don't know for sure. I have never lived with him. The idea is you don't usually know a person until you live with them. Their public life and their private life may not be the same. A genuine relationship with Jesus Christ is revealed at home. It's where a true revelation of who I am is revealed. So back to this question, my husband is not properly submitted to Christ. He does not. He, he, he's sinning in his home. Let's say it that way. He is sinning in his home. So your husband is not doing well. Marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. We often think of it as a 50-50. Well, the reason I responded to you that way is because of the way you acted towards me. And this can be for husbands and wives now. <laughs> I wouldn't have said that if you wouldn't have said that. If that wouldn't have been you, if this, if that wouldn't have been your attitude, I wouldn't have had my attitude. And so we excuse our sin because of the sin of the other. Somehow we think we can, we may disobey God because the person we are married to has not treated us properly. But marriage is a hundred percent zero proposition. That is, and we heard it this morning, what I do, wives, what I do, I do as unto the Lord. So how I treat my husband, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. I will treat my husband as I would treat the Lord. The life that glorifies God can be explained in those two commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's what we are called to, regardless of how the other responds. I mean... There obviously have issues to be worked out, but we're talking about excusing ourselves in when my husband is not properly submitted to Christ. It is always right to do right, even when everyone else is doing wrong. Clearly, like I said, wisdom and support is needed, 
and uh, there are we'll discuss a little bit of that later, but there's no excuse for sin because of another's sin. Okay, here we get to maybe some more more pertinent one to us here. My husband is making a terrible decision. I absolutely think it is the wrong choice. I do not agree with him. Am I to be in submission in such cases? What do you think? Yes. Unless you are required to sin or unless you are asked to go along with his sin. There are proper avenues of appeal. There are places you can go to authorities above him is needed and definitely take it to God. By now, I hope you understand, well, we all understand this, that a husband should listen to his wife. He should listen to her counsel and he should seek her out. But let's say all that's been done and the husband and wife do not agree. How does this relationship go forward? Should they now flip a coin? At that point, the husband will be the decision maker because it is his God-given role, God-given responsibility and duty that that decision rests on his shoulders. Now for you, dear wife, when you disagree with your husband and you think he is making a wrong decision, you need to understand that you're only responsible for supporting your husband. You are not responsible for the decision that he makes. Your responsibility ends at supporting your husband. Your responsibility is not to make sure your husband always makes the right decision. The difficult part of it is, is that the wife faces the consequences of our decisions. That's difficult. And when we make wrong decisions, she faces the consequence. This is part of the difficulty or going through the cross. If it were your responsibility to make sure he always makes the right decision, you would not ever submit. Or you would just submit when you agree with him. That's not submission, right? Since it is your job to make sure that he doesn't make the wrong decision, I'm speaking now in the wrong way, it's your job. And now it's your job since he's deciding to make a wrong decision and you believe it's a wrong decision, and it's your job to make sure he changes that his mind. Now that's what you're going to do. You're going to try to change his mind. And that's where you actually have many homes where you have nagging and manipulation, where you have, um, you have withholding affection, you have uh, ridicule, you have usurping of authority in various forms. You resist him, wear him down, give him the silent treatment until he finally gives in. And then finally he makes the decision that you think he should make. And now we have a home that's finally on the right track. <laughs> Another way to look at it 
you are not supporting the idea, the decision that your husband is making. You are supporting the man that is making that decision. You are supporting the man behind the idea, your husband. So submission is saying, I love my husband. I respect him, even though I disagree with him. I will support him. I have shared my thoughts with my concerns with him and my thoughts and my counsel, and he has made a decision against that. Now, I will own the man, and I will support his decision, and I will do my best to help, to be a help and encouragement to my husband. And the next point is connected to uh, to the last one. Submission means a husband. A submission means a woman puts her husband into the position to lead. She lets him lead. If she has been controlling or manipulative in the past and resisting her husband, she can back up and let him be in charge. Many a wife wants her husband to lead, but she wants her husband to lead the way she wants him to lead. And that's not letting him lead. Many wives do not allow the weight of leadership to rest upon their husband's shoulders because because he it takes the control out of their out of their um, they, they lose control they feel. But wise, you will increase the chance of having your husband lead if you let him know and then show him that you will not lead. You will not. But if the husband thinks, well, it doesn't matter much anyway, because first of all, if he makes a decision, you're not going to support him any way if you don't agree with him. And second, you're going to try to change his mind then. Don't be surprised if your husband just doesn't lead out doesn't take his role seriously. We husbands generally do not like to compete with our wives. So, wives, when you step back, some things may not get done. Some things may suffer, at least for a time, until your husband realizes, well, nothing's going to get done unless I do it. And then there's that, there's that stepping up. It's your job. Just to stand behind him and encourage him and to support him. And another point here, submission means a wife trusts God. Now, many women say they cannot submit to their husbands because they don't trust him. I trust God, but I don't trust my husband. I don't trust that he's going to make wise choices. Therefore, I must stay in this position of whatever. But according to scripture, submission to your husband is about trusting in God. And let's turn, I want you to turn to First uh, Peter. We had read these verses, but I'd like for you to see them again. 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's just read in verse 5. For after this manner, in, old, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, 
Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Here we have Sarah. Do you think she struggled in submitting to her husband? Twice he put her at tremendous risk to save himself. And both times, it very obviously turned out to be a very bad decision. And he was publicly rebuked by other people for making this bad decision. We actually don't know exactly how Sarah interacted with him as he was weighing the decision and how that interaction was. But at some point, he made a decision. This is what we're going to do. And this is what you're going to do. And this is our plan. And Sarah went along with it. Now, how did she do that? Well, it says she trusted in God and was in subjection to her husband. That's actually the, um, the format. You are a daughter of Sarah if you trust God and listen and obey and submit to your husband and do well and are not afraid with any amazement. And those are strong words. Afraid means terror and amazement means very similar. Alarm, terror. It's, but, but why, why, why wasn't Sarah alarmed? Afraid? It's because she had confidence in God, in the sovereignty of God. Now, that is a difficult one because it involves lying. And I cannot and I will not ask any woman to do something that is sin. If her husband asks her to do something that is sin, to go along with that. So we're not going to, you're going to take that point out because not sure, but the point is of how Sarah trusted God in a difficult situation. There are some seemingly outgoing and strong and courageous women who do not have enough of trust in God to submit to their husbands. Submission to your husband is a sign of faith and of bravery and of courage. It's not weakness to defer to your husband. It is a sign of strength. It's a sign of faith. Submission is for strong and godly and faithful women. <clears throat> so, faith, submission to a wife, is not to be a result of coercion or suppression or by dominance of her husband. It's rather to be joyful rather than begrudging. Is to be unto the Lord. It's the heartfelt desire of the godly woman to submit unto the Lord, and that that desire to submit unto God is partly revealed in her desire to submit to her husband. <clears throat> there is no such thing as a spiritual, mature, godly wife who doesn't find victory in willingly submitting to her husband. 
Now, I have to understand, it's a kind of a spiritual, mature, godly wife who finds victory in willingly submitting to her husband. That is a process, and it is probably a continuum, but a mature, godly woman has found a place of joy to submit to her husband. The grace of God can take any harsh or cruel or passive man and make him a gentle and gracious and godly leader. And the grace of God can take any woman who is controlling and manipulative and nagging and domineering and disrespectful and make her a respectful and loving and submissive wife with a powerfully gentle and quiet spirit. Then there's one more thing that I'd like to just give This is more for us men. This last point is for us men. And it was given by a father who is teaching his boys how to properly view women. And I just thought it was very, very beautiful. Because as we have looked at the submission of the wife, we want to make sure we have a proper view of uh, the feminine gender. Therefore, this is what he's saying, therefore there can be no godly masculinity where feminine virtue is not celebrated. Godly men love the glory of women because the woman's glory is his glory. 1 Corinthians 11.7 That means that in general, we can measure the faithfulness of men by the flourishing of women. Think about that. In the Christian family, the fruitfulness of the wife and children is the evidence of God's blessing on the husband. If you want to see whether biblical masculinity is present in a congregation, look at the women and children. Are they thriving? Are they cared for? Are they holy, happy, and hopeful? I want my sons to be awed by the bright strength and life-giving wisdom of women. I want them to hear their mother's praises sung by their father, in season and out of season. When I bless them at night, I want them to eagerly hope that my prayer for them will come true. Here's the prayer. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and someday a wife like your mommy. The father speaking to his children. I want there to be no hint of male superiority or dominance, but only gratitude to God for the tremendous blessing of women. That is a father wanting his boys to have a proper understanding of his sisters, of the girls, and of women in general. I just thought it's a blessing for us. I do not know if we live up to this standard, but I really, really think we should. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you, wise, as you seek God. And in some cases, take up your cross and submit to us. May God bless you.